are now listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. On today's edition of the Paul McGuire Report, I want to take a deep dive into the entire uh, planetary upheaval, the planetary transformation that's going on right now. Now, this planetary transformation is currently accelerating at a very high speed, uh, faster than it has ever occurred in human history. And what I'm talking about goes all the way back to ancient Babylon uh, and what ancient Babylon was all about. It goes back to the ancient uh, Chaldean empires. It goes back to the ancient, what I have termed uh, the Egyptian pharaoh god king system. And then it was passed on to the royalty of Europe, the kings and queens of Europe who also, through a combination of sorcery and science and technology, uh, for lack of better words, bewitched the people of Europe into believing that their genealogical lines as uh, god-kings and god-queens meant that genetically they were gods, and therefore they were to be served by the peasants or the people as gods. Now, the way they were served is that they, the, the, the serfs would work the lands of the kings and queens. They would do the menial labor. They would uh, plant the seeds and harvest the crops and build things and uh, fulfill roles as soldiers for the kings and queens of the uh, European empire nations. And that, that hierarchy uh, of an elite ruling the masses, this time not just on a national level, but on a global level, um, has become at its highest pinnacle in all of human history. It is rising faster than it has ever risen before, right before our very eyes. Now, this was predicted to us in the Bible. God warned us about this in the Bible. So, for example, if we go back to ancient Babylon, Ancient Babylon, also known as Mystery Babylon, and Mystery Babylon comes back again and is a, plays a prominent role in the prophecies in the book of Revelation, where it tells us that the kings and the queens of the earth, the mighty men and the mighty women of the earth, the, the, the rulers, the elite of the earth, it tells us in the book of Revelation, fornicated with the great harlot or the great whore, Mystery Babylon. So, so what does that mean? Well, you have to really, you have to master the meaning of what the Bible is actually saying versus some assumptive interpretation on your part. So, essentially, what the Bible is saying is that earthly kingdoms, earthly rulers throughout human history that have risen to the top of the pinnacle of power and wealth and control, etc. They may have been incredibly talented. I'm not saying that they weren't. But the root source of their power, the root source of their ability to acquire massive wealth and riches and armies and things of that nature, that, that pipeline between the rulers of the earth and inexhaustible resources could be described as a supernatural pipeline. 
it, it, it transcends a mere uh, monetary policy or uh, merchant ruling class inactivity. What, what's happening is, and, and we really have to understand this, to be, so, to, because if we're going to be naive about this, we're going to fail in our assignment to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to win souls for Jesus Christ on a global level, to make disciples of all nations, and uh, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That can only be done by also tapping into a supernatural pipeline uh, of energy, of supply, of resources. So what exactly is this supernatural pipeline? The supernatural pipeline is essentially a portal from the unseen dimension or the dimension of the invisible world. It's a portal from an unseen dimension into the physical Earth reality system. And and the way that a fallen man or a fallen woman or a fallen empire can activate the download or activate the inflow of all this supernatural knowledge and power and resources and futuristic type of technologies and sciences the way this downflow is activated, the way doors are opened into the invisible realm, the way secret knowledge is passed on from one generation to another, is that there are a minority of people on the earth that could be described as the adept or the enlightened ones. And whatever their nomenclature is, they they have tapped into how to be recipients of supernatural power, supernatural wisdom on multiple levels, and that gives them enormous power. Now, this is essential to understand because the rise and fall of empires, the rise and fall of emperors, whether they're male or female, the rise and fall of of nations and militaries, the rise and fall of, of all of these earthly realm categories are contingent upon how dedicated, how committed uh, an emperor, a king, a pharaoh, uh, a nation, a guy like Nimrod, who built the Tower of Babel, how committed they are, and in a sense, how much faith they have, how much belief they have in their ability to access supernaturally uh, a vast spectrum of power, wisdom, and knowledge from another dimension or an invisible realm. Now, contemporary Christians, modern Christians, have largely failed to understand the connection between the different categories. And so they, they fall into what could be described as an intellectual era, an era in philosophy, an era in logic and reason, and a faulty understanding and a faulty practice of uh, what could be called the scientific method and its various applications. So 
one of the things that they learned early on in the ancient world. See, in many respects, we are vastly ahead of the people in the ancient world because we do have superior technology, superior science, superior physics, mathematics, superior knowledge on many levels. There's no question about it. But if you go back in time, you will discover that in these, what are called, or what I call in my books, in these ancient super-civilizations, and an example of what an ancient super-civilization would be, would be the legendary and potentially mythological super-civilization of Atlantis. I personally personally believe that there was a super-civilization of great stature, uh, and it may not have been in the location that they think it is. They may, it may have been in the area of the land of Thule, or it may have been in, in the area of uh, under Antarctica, or um, in the mountainous, in the very high atmosphere, mountainous regions of Tibet. It may have been in, in what has been called the Irish super-civilization, where they had advanced te- technology, advanced linguistics, poetry, writing, reading, mathematics. And, and so, for example, this has nothing to do with... I happen to be Irish, okay? I have almost no identification with the Irish, and I'm not putting you down if you are Irish. It's just my life experience. I was raised in an atheistic household, a secular humanist household, a transhumanist household. So all the, the you know tribal connections that some people have with their, their forefathers it was non-existent in my life. I mean, I don't... Irish heritage and customs and stuff essentially meant nothing to me. Now, in recent days, I've discovered that Ireland and its connection to Iran and some of those other nations, over thousands of years, the the Irish genetically and through their DNA, I was shocked to discover that they had erected a Super civilization, and that their I'm not saying their DNA was superior because I don't believe God chooses a superior race, but their DNA was very advanced. They created many highly advanced technologies, and so some it, it could have been on the island of Ireland or Scotland, it could have been way up in the Tibetan mountains. It could have been uh, in an area near the Tibetan mountains known as Shambhala. It could have been in an area under uh, Antarctica where there was allegedly a super civilization with highly advanced technology who, who went deep, deep, deep underground under the ice and they created a paradise on Earth utilizing highly advanced technologies. And let's remember that a naval officer and military commander um, whose name was Robert Byrd uh, took an expedition of ice chop, specially engineered ice chopping, ice breaking 
uh, massive ships, and he took a large number of soldiers and technology and these ice-breaking ships to go penetrate uh, what was allegedly the super-civilization under Antarctica. And uh, in addition, he had many planes that flew in with special equipment. They filmed their research and their expedition, and they discovered, and, and these, these volumes, these, these films, these notes from Admiral Byrd, where he discovers and he flies into this deep underground super-civilization with these crystal-like cities glowing with light. And and then they were attacked. Admiral Byrd was attacked uh, heavily by German scientists and German military flying what would have been the equivalent of flying saucer technology, flying machines. They were attacked by these UFO flying machines developed by the Nazi scientists. And they were zapped with these like directed energy beam weapons and laser weapons. Now, in addition to that, the Hitler was deeply involved in the occult. The Nazi scientists were deeply involved in the occult. And so what they discovered, what the Nazis discovered, was that the primary energy source that was being utilized deep under the ice of Antarctica was known as the Vril Force, V-R-I-L, and the land of Vril. And in this whole, to some people, it's an allegory or a mythology. To some people, it's real. Apparently, as the reality goes, or uh, equally apparently as the legend goes, Hitler uh, financed an around-the-clock program to go deep under the ice and build super cities and discover the super cities that existed under the ice of Antarctica. And uh, he also had a fleet of submarines, which he sailed deep under the water from Germany and from like the Scandinavian nations. He sailed fleets of submarines deep under the water, deep under the ice, and then brought them up to the surface in a, in a, spectacular-looking world, a spectacular-looking civilization, which he reached through submarines. And the energy force that the Nazis kept tapping into was called the Vril Force. And the Vril Force emanated this greenish light, and it could be used as a healing energy, as a weaponized, directed energy beam technology. The real force could allegedly heal people from all kinds of diseases. It could allow people to go into different dimensions. It could allow people to go back in time or, or fire directed energy beam weapons. And there was a whole vast spectrum of healing energies that the real force could heal people of diseases and, and other such things. So Bird got his hands on this and filmed it and got evidence of it. But it was suppressed by the, the president of the United States and the U.S. military and the European nations. Now, the, the, the critical thing to understand is that 
the reason the Nazis almost conquered the world and established the Fourth Reich in World War II is that Hitler and all these Nazi scientists, the Nazi mind control scientists, the Nazi uh, uh, rocket scientists, and the uh, Nazi uh, genetic scientists uh, were creating these new powerful and forceful inventions that relied on the almost infinite power of what was called the Brill Force. And then under a secret, a highly secret uh, operation known as Operation Paperclip, which included Werner von Braun, the famous Nazi rocket scientist. Werner von Braun was the founder of NASA. There are films of national TV shows with the, the Nazi scientist Werner von Braun and Walt Disney appearing in programs together. And Werner von Braun launched the NASA or the U.S. rocket program. In addition, borrowing from Rockefeller-funded laboratory research in Cold Spring, New York, uh, use, the Nazis rediscovered the, the, through, through their genetic scientists, they began to genetically engineer men and women with the goal of making them uh, a master race. You know, one of the most powerful master races ever to inhabit planet Earth. And uh, they were brought here to the United States of America. And we have to remember when we study the background of Warner von Braun that he was not just a high, high level Nazi scientist, a rocket scientist, but he was a high level mind control scientist and a high level uh, genetic scientist. And he was among Hitler's highest level uh, generals. He was at the very top. But then he came to the United States of America, where they replicated this massive operation, uh, building up rocket laboratories, etc., in, in different secret locations of the United States of America. Now, as you know, um, I believe that the Holy Spirit, uh, power from on high, um, I believe that the dunamis, which means the dynamite explosive power of the Holy Spirit, is available to supercharge true believers in Jesus Christ with what Jesus Christ called power from on high. So Jesus told his disciples to tarry or wait into Jerusalem until the Father clothes you with power from on high, so that you're not just a natural man or a natural woman vainly attempting to fight a spiritual battle with mere mortal human weapons. You're using the weapons of our warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, supernatural weapons. And, and from the perspective of the dark side, the Nazis um, were doing this by tapping into evil satanic forces like the Vril Force and Satanism and the occult, etc. And, and one of the massive amount of proofs of what I just asserted is simply this. When you see the old film footage of Adolf Hitler uh, speaking to massive stadiums of people, 
he he is like a fiery evangelist, and it's like he's possessed with this supernatural energy. In fact, Adolf Hitler's highest level generals believe that Adolf Hitler was possessed by demons, and that's what gave him his supernatural abilities. So when you see Adolf Hitler speak, and he is mesmerizing a crowd of like 70,000 people, and they're spellbound, the energy that's pouring through him is satanic energy, occultic energy, and very likely the, the energy of the virile force. Now this gets complicated, but it's also mind-blowing. And when you read about it, and I've spent over 40 years researching this, when you learn the truths of what went on and then you apply them to our present day, it's like God gives you the ability to take a giant step in your understanding of what really happened in World War II. So, so I expose these secret occult Luciferian elite plans to conquer the world. And that's what Adolf Hitler's goal was. He wanted to establish a, a global New World Order or a Fourth Reich, and he wanted and he believed he was going to conquer the world. And I write and disclose all about all the secret plans the Nazis and other occultists had in my books like The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, in my book Power from on High, in my book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 1 and 2, in my book, Conquering the Matrix, uh, and The Babylon Code, which I wrote, I wrote with Troy Anderson, and numerous other books. You need to read the books. They're at a super discount right now. And I believe, I believe those books will blow your mind for the better and open up a whole new horizon of understanding. Because when you understand what happened with the Nazis and all that stuff, you then are in a position to understand what is happening now on planet Earth and how it integrates perfectly with the fulfillment of uh, Bible prophecy. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Be sure right now to visit paulmcguire.us, order on a bulk discount, you know, three or more copies of the books I recommended. You'll get a huge financial savings, and we'll rush the books out to you. And I believe they will provide enormous benefit into your life spiritually. You know, Christians are not supposed to be, you know, remember that old cartoon? I used to watch it as a kid. There was a character named Popeye. Popeye was a weakling. And, but Popeye loved this girl, Olive Oil. I think her name was Olive Oil. And, uh, Popeye would go to the beach, and he was scrawny, and there was a big bully that, that also liked olive oil, and I forgot his name. Uh, I think it was Brutus or Pluto, I can't remember. In any case, he was a big muscular bully, and so when he was running down the beach, he was always kick sand in the eyes of uh, uh, Popeye in order to aggravate him. Now... This film actually was made by the military to communicate a message. So, so Popeye got tired of being beat up on. It's, it's really what Christians should be tired of in the United States of America. Christians should be very tired of being the victim, uh, the punching bag, and Christians should be long overdue tired of being beat up on. So the military financed these movies, and you'd see them in movie theaters and stuff. 
And Popeye had a secret weapon. If Popeye would faithfully eat his spinach, which, which he could easily get out of a can of spinach and a can opener, if Popeye would gulp down a can of spinach, it wouldn't be much longer when Popeye would become kind of like Superman. He would be super strong, super tough, a super fighter, and he would be fearless. And why? Why was that? Because he ate his spinach. So in the cartoons, whenever Popeye was faithful to eat his spinach, and I think it was Pluto or Brutus who came over and attacked him, all of a sudden Popeye would stand up rippling with muscles, and he would pound Popeye into the ground, and he would win his cartoon sweetheart, Olive Oil, or I think that's what her name was. But what gave him the power to, to punch the living daylights, see, back then they weren't worried about zero tolerance and stuff like that, what would give Popeye the ability to punch the living daylights out of the bully was if Popeye ate his spinach, he had the supercharge of energy he needed to pound on uh, uh, Pluto or Brutus. Now, uh, it was a very funny, humorous way of communicating a message. But the military backed these films because they, they understood the importance of nutrition in maintaining your physical strength, your mental clarity, and maintaining a high energy level. And the military understood the, the value of nutrition, and the military understood that when a person like Popeye is faithful to eat his spinach, he's, he's getting a massive amount of green leafy vegetables into his body. And the green leafy vegetables like spinach, even when it's in a canned form, fires, energy, nutrition, strength, mental clarity, boosts the immune system. Spinach is like, is like you know, chlorella or wheatgrass or some of those green leafy uh, supplements. It, 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 it energizes you and it makes you super strong and it builds muscles and it builds your brain. So the military pumped out these movies, and it got, you know, all of a sudden kids and, and soldiers across the United States were finally eating their spinach. So in that kind of sarcastic cartoon presentation, a message was being communicated. But the message, I believe, went deeper than that. Yes, if you eat your spinach, you're going to be physically and mentally tough and strong. But also, eating your spinach serves as a parable of what happens when an ordinary Christian who might be defeated and weak and cowardly and fearful, when an ordinary Christian eating an ordinary diet is victimized, is bullied, loses battles left and right because he or she is seriously deficient in eating green leafy spinach. Now that is, in my opinion, a powerable of the power of the Holy Spirit. So simply substitute the dunamis dynamite power of the Holy Spirit with uh, eating your spinach and green leafy vegetables. So pretend that when you see Popeye or whoever eating his spinach, that's the same thing in a parable form as if Popeye was worshiping God and God filled him with the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's make it synonymous for the purpose of a parable. Popeye becomes a muscular Superman who, who 
pounds the living daylights out of the bully as long as he eats his spinach. The Christian, who might be normally weak and fearful in their normal human flesh, when they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the dunamis, the dynamite power of God, all of a sudden they're transformed into a muscular, ferocious warrior because they're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to produce the victory in the battlefield. Really simple message, but it's revolutionary. And this is why this message is so important at this particular time. The Christian culture, the so-called Bible-believing Christian culture, the evangelical culture, has unfortunately detoured down a pathway of era, spiritual era, and it is attempting to win the greatest spiritual war in the history of mankind by inadvertently relying upon the very limited power of the human flesh, the very limited power of men and women trying to do it on their own strength or willpower, and just in general, the limited power a Christian has in a spiritual war fighting the devil and demons. You're going to find out that you you run on empty really quickly if you're relying on your limited human power versus doing what God tells you to do, which is by faith you're to open yourself up and worship to God. And as you worship God, you open yourself up to be filled to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit, to receive by faith the dunamis dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. And when by faith you receive the dunamis dynamite power of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden you receive power from on high. You're clothed with power from on high. It's just like you were Popeye and you finally decided to obey God and eat your spinach. The battle is turned around. You become victorious to the degree that you're relying on the supernatural dunamis dynamite power of God. I mean, that's so simple. It's so simple. And if you do that, you're going to see things happen in your life that you never saw happen before. Look, let me share some things with you personally. The last thing I ever thought I would ever be in my life, ever, the last thing I'd ever thought I would be, would be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, supernaturally called by God for the ministry. The last thing I ever thought I would be would be an internationally recognized Bible prophecy teacher, Bible teacher, and uh, someone who ministers in the power of the Holy Spirit, and somebody who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. This, <laughs> this was the last thing I ever conceived for my life. But I remember in the early days of my ministry, I made the mistake that most Christians made. I attempted to win spiritual warfare. I attempted to win spiritual battles. Yeah, I, I, I prayed spiritual warfare prayers. I prayed. I, I renewed my mind with the Word of God. I did that. And I saw good results. But I didn't see awesome results. I didn't see the dunamis dynamite power of God literally rip through me with a lightning bolt-like force demolishing the demonic powers. And so I learned something. You don't win the spiritual battle by your willpower. You don't win the spiritual battle by your relying on yourself or relying on the flesh. What you do is, by faith, this is how I used to do it and still do it when I would minister at a major conference to thousands of people at a time, or I would travel overseas to Paris, France, 
or Kuala Lumpur, uh, Malaysia, or other places, and I would minister to, you know, 25,000 people at a time or more or whatever. And, and the, the spiritual battles in those areas were so ferocious, I couldn't possibly win them on my own strength. So I learned the principle of, of that before a conference, as best as I could while flying on planes, while traveling in cars, I would try to like sleep, nap, half awake, half asleep, but I'd always be communing to God. I would always be I would always be in intercessory prayer, lying on the bed sometimes for hours with my face in the bed at a at a, at a major conference hotel. I would be by by will soaking in the power of the Holy Spirit through intercessory prayer, confessing my sins before the Lord. So I didn't want there to be any blockages in the power of God moving through me. I would I would bind the demonic. I would ask God to fill me with His supernatural power. I would ask that the devil and his demons would be bound in the conferences. And in other words, what I'm telling you is I would win the spiritual battle beforehand by waging war beforehand in the heavenlies. In other words, I wouldn't fight the spiritual battle in the physical realm right then and there while I just stepped into the physical realm. That would have put me at a loss. I learned that I had to win the spiritual battle by fighting with spiritual weapons before I entered the physical realm. I had to make sure that I was clothed with power from on high, that I was filled with the dunamis dynamite power of the Holy Spirit before I entered the physical battlefield. And so what I discovered, and, and, and the truth of this began to incrementally grow in my life and ministry, I discovered that to the degree I would discipline myself to worship God and pray and wage war spiritually, that when the time came for me to minister, preach, lay hands on people, etc., etc., that all of a sudden, when I went out on the platform, I could feel, I could feel many times, like right now I'm thinking of a conference, a couple of conferences I spoke large conferences I spoke at it in Texas. And when I went out on the platform and the place was packed, I could feel a holy hush enter the room, which it had nothing to do with me. The holy hush was the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the response of all the people in the room to the fact that they could sense the Spirit of God was coming upon them and filling the room with himself. And they were, they were struck hard by the power of God that they witnessed right before their very eyes. And it had nothing to do with me or my strength or my willpower or my abilities. It had everything to do with the fact that I prepared by engaging in spiritual warfare before I ever walked out onto the platform. So when then, as usually what happened, when I would spend time waging war in the invisible realm, when I stepped out on the platform, there would be an anointing, a powerful anointing that would come down upon me and come down through me, ministering to the thousands of people who gathered there. And I could feel them being supernaturally built up, supernaturally strengthened. And I could feel any demonic entities that were attempting to harass or whatever, they, they were driven out 
as I commanded them to be driven out, because by faith I was operating in my full authority in Jesus Christ. And this would happen over and over again. And it's not like everything just laid down and went perfectly my way. Sometimes there would be, and oftentimes there would be, a violent, a spiritually violent counter-reaction to my ministry when I was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember one particular place in Phoenix, Arizona, where I went to my room because I had just finished ministering for two hours, and I got a call from the people doing the concert, and they were televising the concert, and they said, Paul, you need to get down here right away, because one of the girls you prayed for, and I don't look and seek to, to cast demons out of people, but I'm not going to look in the eyes of somebody where I can see a demon whose spiritual discernment, as a minister of the gospel, I can't leave the demon inside the person and then just go on my merry way. I feel God demanding of me that I fulfill my assignment and that I remove that demon or those demons from those people. And I go against the demon not in my strength. There's nothing in the back of my mind where I'm trying to whip this up in my own, own emotionalism or human strength or willpower. I look at the demon in the eyes. The demon usually tries to counterattack by mocking me with its... This particular demon looks like a, a large, dumb dog. The only way I can describe it. It was so real in front of me as I looked at this lady who just turned out that she was one of the primary volunteers of the check-in table and the book-in table, because this New Age demon-possessed cult had penetrated the organizational structure of the ministry I was speaking at, and, and, and one minute she's Miss Perfect Christian, but when I'm looking at her under the anointing, I can see the demon in her looking like a big dumb dog, and I'm not trying to put her down, that's just what it looked like. And the demon, there was that mocking look towards me by the demon. But the demons will always test you to see if you're going to respond in your own strength. Well, I didn't respond in my own strength. I looked at the demon, and in the strength of Jesus Christ that he imparts in us by faith, I took authority over that demon, and I commanded that demon to break its grip off this woman, and I commanded that demon immediately using my authority in Christ to go into the lake of fire. And so within minutes that demon left that woman. You, you, never, you, you no longer saw that dog-like entity in her eyes and soul. It, it, it was gone. And then, you know, sometimes God anoints you to do that, and you feel like David with the sword of the Spirit out, and you're not looking for this, but you have to deal with it. You start to walk by and all of a sudden, it's like people are rushing at you, and many of them are demon-possessed. They saw what happened, and something inside of them wants to be set free. And so I would keep moving, but my faith in the supernatural power of God was now enhanced and supercharged in me. And with one sentence or one word, I would lay hands on people or touch people or extend my hands towards them, break the power of the demon over the person, and command that demon to leave. And in seconds, those, that demon would leave. Why? Because I was not operating on my power, but power from on high. And, and this is what I'm trying to convey. 
So in this great spiritual battle we're in right now, in the last days, the way we win the battle is we don't succumb to the seduction of Lucifer or Satan or the fallen angels, which are attempting to deceive us and entice us into trying to fight them with earthly, fleshly weapons. No, no, no. We have to guard ourselves against that. Because the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So this pattern repeats itself when you're in ministry. And again, I'll just reiterate the basic formula. You pray by yourself. You don't have to make, you don't, you don't put on a performance before God. You just get real before God. And you call on his name. And you fight the battle spiritually. Then when you go out into to the physical arena, whatever it is, the power of God is now not just trickling through you. The power of God is like violently rushing through you like rivers of living water, and a force is coming out of you. And that force is the force of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis dynamite power of God. And so when demons, people who are oppressed, when strongholds are coming your way, the anointing of God is flowing out of you with such power that any demon that tries to interfere with what you're trying to do in the name of Jesus, it's like you take an invisible spiritual hammer and you crack that demon, you break its spinal cord, and you paralyze it, and then you keep moving forward, delivering people one after another. And sometimes, I remember in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, which was the central, very sophisticated, highly Muslim city, business district, and there was, I don't know, 5,000 or so pastors from all over the world, uh, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, and places like that, Indonesia. And so um, I, I asked the host, you know, should I pray for all these people? Which is a lot of people. Praying for 5,000 people by yourself uh, is, is a task. So anyway, I was anointed, I was prayed up, and I, I just would move through the lines of these were all ministers and ministers' wives. So I would move through the lines of people, placing my hands on their head or my hands on their chest. And, you know, I, I don't look for a circus. I don't look for showmanship. I don't look for flamboyant stuff. But I'll just tell you this. Every single person that I put my hands on, the power of God hit them with force. I don't manipulate people. I don't shove people. I don't push people. I don't psychologically play games on people's heads. Either God does something through me, or I don't force it, because it's disgusting, and it's heretical, and it's disingenuous to, to fake the anointing. If you're walking with God, the anointing will flow through you. And, and thousands of people were filled with the Holy Spirit, bondages were broken, and revival was, a revival fire was set ablaze in, in a, Muslim, a militant Muslim-controlled nation. And, hey, look, in, in the flesh, you know, I'm no, I don't consider myself some great hero in the flesh. I remember flying into the Kuala Lumpur airport, and uh, when you go into the airport, there's this large room, you know, where all the flights are departing. All the women managing the gates are wearing the burqas, and there's males that are soldiers carrying heavy, you know, AK-47 type assault rifles. And then there are these gigantic signs that say things like, 
the penalty for bringing drugs in is death. I mean, that's scary. The penalty for bringing drugs in to Malaysia is death. A giant sign. And the other giant sign said something like, the penalty of handing out religious, uh, uh, non-Muslim religious literature or Christian literature, if you, if you try to save people or hand out tracts or whatever, it said in giant letters, again, in a similar way, the penalty is death. Now, now that's hard for us to think about as Americans, but they meant it. So they had a guy who was kind of like my driver, but I was warned because he was a hardcore Muslim. And uh, I was warned by people hosting the, the conference that under no circumstances was I to witness or try to convert to Christ my driver or any of the Muslim assistants or coordinators, under no circumstances. And part of me, you know, was tempted to, to, to violate that and, you know, try to play Brother Andrew, who used to smuggle Bibles into communist nations. But I'm not Brother Andrew. I don't carry Brother Andrew's anointing. So let's get that straight real quick. I'm Paul McGuire, and I can tell you right now, I may have many anointings, but I don't have Brother Andrew's anointing. So for me to defy the law and to defy the warnings would have been total stupidity on my part, because my host told me that if I violated this rule, that they were very strict, and that I would be immediately arrested, I would be taken off and put in a hardcore Muslim prison, and then for the crime of either bringing in drugs, which I was not doing, but for the crime of preaching the gospel or witnessing or handing out Christian literature, um, I would have been beheaded or executed in some fashion immediately. That's a, that's a very <laughs> very sobering. So anyway, they get, they turn me over to my driver, and he drives me everywhere like like a chauffeur. You're not treated like a king or anything. I don't want to give it the wrong impression, but he's your driver, and I know he's testing me, and I know that he has been trained to spy on American ministers, especially American ministers who are speaking to 5,000 Christian leaders in a, in a massive uh, auditorium in, in the palatial business district of Kuala Lumpur. By the way, Kuala Lumpur, at that time, which this is about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, Kuala Lumpur is like a super high-tech city. Major corporations were there. And I didn't know this, but there are two there are two giant buildings in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and they are, among all the buildings on planet Earth, the two highest or two tallest buildings anywhere in the world. That's how sophisticated the city is. But I, but I could sense that this man, although friendly towards me, was trained to spy on me, and although he never tried to bait me, he, he clearly, in an unspoken manner, tried to convey to me that he could be trusted and that he would welcome any efforts on my part to evangelize him. He didn't verbalize any of that. You know what I'm talking about. It's an intuitive sixth sense that you have. It's, it's an intuitive sense that the Holy Spirit is giving you supernaturally. Because, you see, on the other hand, the devil is tempting me, Paul, if you're really a faithful Christian, then you will risk your life and try to win this man to Jesus Christ. No, that's stupidity and foolishness. The Lord wasn't leading me to do that. So, I was very careful about that. 
Now, I will tell you, if you know me and you know the way I operate, I did talk to them about a lot of things. And I skirted on the edge with great precision, the edge of not transgressing their law, which meant that I would be executed if I tried to preach the gospel or convert anybody. But I'm a writer and a speaker. And I'll tell you this, I came as close <laughs> I came as close to that edge as you could come. And I was I was uh, cautious with great precision that I wouldn't even step over a, a quarter of an inch. So no accusation could be levied against me. Because I was just talking to him about the weather and you know how wonderful uh, the sights were, et cetera, et cetera. But if you know me, and many of you know me. I had a I had a Holy Spirit driven agenda, in which I inserted, let's call them double entendres. So I would say something that clearly was not a violation of their law of punishing me by death, but I would say it in such a way that there was let's call it an oblique. Double entendre or double meaning. That's double entendre, which of course, as many of you know, means that double meaning. Double entendre means double meaning. So I would say something that that for most people would mean one thing, but in some cases, because it was a double entendre, in some cases you could say one thing, which was perfectly legal, but it was also a double entendre which had a secondary meaning or secondary usage. So occasionally I would slip in a word which was totally safe, totally legit, but I made sure I inserted it along with a double entendre word or a double meaning word in which you couldn't hold me responsible for violating the law because that's not what I said. You see, I said the words that were totally legal to say in a in a Muslim nation. I didn't violate their laws. But, as we all know, certain words have double meanings. And, and I don't want to say what they are, but so I didn't abuse it, but, but, but he couldn't blame me for anything because I didn't do anything. Anything I said that had truth in it on a higher level was said within the context of a double entendre or double meaning. So what I'm, and you've got to be very careful about that. If you're not if you're not up to speed in that area, my suggestion to you is don't cross that line. Don't start playing around with double entendres because you may find that your head is mailed back by Federal Express to your wife and family. Don't be a fool. And I was very very careful. And so if there was any possibility of making an error, I wanted to make sure I made the error on the side of adherence to their Muslim law. And then when I was giving my message, I was I was speaking prophetically to them. I was giving them basic Bible teaching, uh, which they were starving for. And the thing that was most interesting in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, was that the crowds came out to hear me in, in such numbers in the downtown business district in a major, major office building that had a massive, massive uh, auditorium and theater, okay, that was jam-packed with Christian ministers and their wives and Christians. Now, um, so I spoke to them, I ministered to them, and I 
I, I was told something, and then I found out it was true. Because there is absolutely no Christian television allowed, and Christian television is not legal in Malaysia, even in the American hotels, you, you can, this is the thing, like, they have like three television channels. Most of them are playing Islamic prayers, Islamic, you know, teachings, uh, the principles of Islam. So it's, it's constant is Islamic doctrine bombardment on the channels. Okay? No Christian TV, no American TV. But in, in a very bizarre irony, um, they would play um, Charlie's Angels and uh, uh, Baywatch, uh, you know, where the girls are running around with skimpy bikinis on the beach of Malibu, California. And, and uh, Charlie's Angels, uh, you know, Farrah set and, and the girls, you know, somewhat risque. They wearing tight-fitting clothes and stuff. So it was, that's, that's the only place where they liked, like, it didn't seem to be consistent, but that's the way it was. So uh, it was interesting because I was in my hotel room channel surfing. I was hoping to even find a news station. And all I got, all I could see was Islamic prayers and Islamic preaching, and it was driving me crazy. And then, you know, I'm not a big fan of Baywatch, so I'm not going to sit there before I'm ministering watching, you know, Baywatch for an hour. I don't think that's really smart. Uh, and I don't think, you know, watching Charlie's Angels is really a good way for a minister to get filled with the Holy Spirit before he ministers. And, and ironically, about 15 or 10 years after, I'd say 10 years after I ministered in Malaysia, not only in downtown Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, but in large, like, underground churches with, you know, several thousand members. You know, I, I, I ministered in many places as possible. But when I got back to uh, California, I was with my wife at a, uh, my wife used to go to Taibo, I think his name, Billy Blanks, the head of Taibo. And Taibo is like a hardcore exercise, aerobicized martial arts kind of thing where the biggest basketball players, the biggest football players, they all go there. It's high intensity workout like you've never seen before. So we were invited to a dinner sponsored by Ty Bo and Billy Blanks. And uh, my wife and I kind of wanted to be left alone because we didn't have to be forced to make, you know, social chit-chat. So we sit at a table towards the back deliberately, and they serve dinner and stuff. And it turns out the, the, the girl, my wife is by my right elbow, and by my left elbow there's a girl, and she turns to talk to me. And to my shock, it was Farrah Fawcett from Charlie's Angels. And uh, I wanted to minister to her. I wasn't afraid of ministering to her. She brought her lawyer. Her lawyer served as her male companion. But I didn't want to get into that whole dynamic of, oh, he's flirting with uh, Farrah Fawcett. No, I, I needed an open door. Uh, I really felt she was hungry, but... But unless the Lord opens the door, you don't force it. You know, you don't force it because when you, if God's behind it, you pray and He'll He'll open the door a crack or something. He'll show you, He'll give you a, a, an option. And so uh, I regret I regret I didn't I didn't fail the Lord because I didn't nothing opened nothing shook open. 
but I could tell. So, I mean, she was hurting enormously. Um, anyway, that's a, a entirely different story. So in Malaysia, uh, I ministered, and then I had, I knew that there were spies from the, the I don't know if you call it a dictatorship or a benevolent dictatorship or whatever, but I knew they were, were spies from the prime minister and head of Malaysia in the auditorium, because there were mover and shaker businessmen in there, as well as ministers from everything, and they they, of course, are going to, the government in Malaysia is going to keep their thumb on the pulse of American Christians coming in, talking to thousands of their Christian leaders. They're just not going to ignore that. So I knew that the, the, the large conference rooms were embedded with their agents and spies. The Lord has always given me, like, a supernatural radar ability to see that in the spiritual realm. I mean, even before I came, became a Christian, that that ability began to blossom in me, and it stayed with me my entire life. It, I believe it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, the discerning of spirits. And sometimes the Lord, as I'm looking around the room ministering, many times the Lord, it's like the light will light up a particular man or woman or whatever, and I will know that they're a spy or a witch or whatever. So it's almost like you have x-ray vision. And I'm not exaggerating. This is something that the Lord continually releases in my life. So I knew that there were spies uh, that were especially listening to me to see if I would try to violate the Islamic laws and the laws of Malaysia. And, and then there was going to be a big crackdown on me or whoever. So I was walking with Holy Spirit diplomacy. I was speaking the truth in love. I wasn't avoiding that, but I wasn't acting like a fool. I wasn't stepping on a landmine. So I knew these spies were in the room. But the Lord then put it in my heart that, that I needed, with, I needed with the 5,000 or whatever it was, I can't remember, uh, 5,000 or 10,000 pastors in, at the conference, because we had, sometimes the, the main room would be so overpacked that it would be televised into another giant room located in the other in the same large office building. And so uh, I was ministering, and I the Lord told me that you need to lead the pastors in intercessory prayer for the prime minister of Malaysia. Because at the time that I went there, now remember, this is in the earlier days of my research on the New World Order and the, the, the banking international banking control of the world and all that stuff. I was very, I mean, I was well on my way to understanding all those dynamics. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but when I flew it in, I understood that the, um, that, that a number of the Middle Eastern nations there, specifically Malaysia, specifically Malaysia was being targeted by the international bankers and the International Monetary Fund. Malaysia and its prime minister was being targeted, and I didn't find this out till I got there, by the globalists, because he did not want to submit his independent sovereign government and economy. He didn't want to turn it over to the control of the globalist elite, to the control of the International Monetary Fund, to the control of the international bankers 
and the, the Federal Reserve type uh, global banking system. They were putting a hard move on Malaysia and its prime minister, and they were trying to economically pressure him and economically crack his economy so he would fall to his knees and surrender Malaysia's, the control of Malaysia's economy and banking to the international and globalist banking system. And I was right in the middle of this, as I discovered. So I, I felt a real burden to pray for the prime minister of Malaysia, his government, his economy, but to, do, to, to, to make sure the prayer, prayer would not be misconstrued as insulting or demeaning. And I needed the utmost wisdom, wisdom that is beyond my human wisdom. I needed God's supernatural wisdom to guide me in the formation of my prayers, because it was going to be like walking on thin ice you know, on a frozen lake. <clears throat> so I gave a short teaching to the pastors, because at first they were ruffled that I would pray for the Muslim prime minister and the Muslim government. But the Bible commands us to do that. And so I also knew, since there was the spies of the prime minister in these conferences, that it would be extremely important for the for the local body of Christ there, the local ministers in Malaysia and uh, Thailand and these other nations, that the local uh, the local ministers that word got back to the prime ministers that the local ministers were praying favor favorably for the prime minister and for Malaysia. And, and that they were asking God, that the Christian ministers were asking God to bless Malaysia and the prime minister financially. I felt it was a very important thing to do, like in, in the strategy of the prophet Daniel. So I led them in the prayer, and we began with worship and praising God. And then I led them in a prayer where we, where we named the prime minister by name, and we thanked God for the prime minister. This is biblical. And we asked God to supernaturally bless and pour out his blessing on the prime minister and Malaysia. And then I, I felt infused with the gift of faith, which gives you the ability to pray on a transcendent level, way above and beyond your normal level of faith. And so I led the, the Christian ministers in, in a prayer directed by the gift of faith, and I, we asked God together that the Lord would supernaturally protect the prime minister, supernaturally protect the nation of Malaysia from any adverse or negative economic attacks against the nation or the prime minister, and that we, we, we beseech God on behalf of the prime minister, and, and uh, we beseech God on behalf of the prime minister and the economic crisis they were going through that God Almighty would step into the situation and overturn this economic attack on the nation of Malaysia and the prime minister, and to protect their currency and to protect their sovereignty and to bless them. Now, that's pretty bold because somebody could interpret that as if I was trying to convert Muslims. But there was nothing about trying to convert Muslims in the language. It was my, it was my assessment that that prayer was definitely going to find its way to the Prime Minister of Malaysia, and that the Prime Minister of Malaysia would actually, he would have been encouraged and enheartened by the prayer, and especially for the fact that Christian ministers were praying blessing upon him. 
Now, you say, well, Paul, how did you have the guts to do that? I mean, you could have, again, been arrested, thrown in a prison in Malaysia or executed or any number of things. Or they could have thought you were a CIA agent or something, which, which happens all the time. Well, you know, and this the point of this is not bragging. The point of this is sharing with you how the Lord grooms you and trains you for ministry in areas that seem to be impossible. And it might be a decade or two before a door opens up where you're able to use the lessons that the Lord has schooled you in. So let me share this with you. And, and I'm sharing with you so that you can apply this principle in your life. Because if you do apply this principle in your life, you will discover a supernatural release of God's supernatural blessing with authority when you pray, wherever you go, wherever you travel. Whether it's an American corporation, a federal government entity, an entity of power of any kind, the military or whatever, the Lord will walk with you in power if you choose to walk with the Lord in humility and wisdom. Okay, when I come back, I want to share with you the secret of opening this door of power and the miraculous in the highest levels that's available to you by God. So, Take advantage of the super financial discounts. Save money. Go to paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Get yourself trained. You can get yourself trained to be, you know, your typical evangelical pastor and play it safe. Or if you want to change the destiny of nations and change your own destiny or change the destiny of America. In other words, if you really want to rock when you roll in the Holy Spirit, then read my books because they will teach you to do that. I didn't grow up in a conventional Christian household. I grew up in an intellectual, transhumanist, secular humanist, atheistic household in New York City, interfacing with movers and shakers when I was a young boy. And then when I was 15 years old, I was helping to organize citywide radical demonstrations with the radical activist Abby Hoffman, Dr. Timothy Leary, the Harvard professor, LSD guru, uh, Allen Ginsberg, the beat poet that, that George Soros used to attend his sessions, we were probably in the same meetings together. He's, he's quite a bit older than I am. But for all I know, we were sitting next to each other in these Allen Ginsberg meetings. Okay, so visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. And we will be back in just a moment. This is Paul McGuire. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Okay, I want to share this principle with you, because if you apply this principle in your life, this is how you prepare for releasing the power of the miraculous in your life in an intelligent, sane, and fruitful way. Okay, so the Lord, from the moment you get saved to the present moment to to the time the Lord finally takes you home to heaven, the Lord and the Holy Spirit will constantly be teaching you and maturing you and growing you and preparing you and developing you for ministry. So you are going to be presented from the Lord with supernatural opportunities to learn how to operate with wisdom in the supernatural. If you are sensitive to the Lord, and if you're willing, when the Lord approaches you with opportunities to be taught and learn, if you don't risk resist those opportunities, but you see them for what they are, which are divine opportunities to prepare you for your future, if you 
are willing to be trained by the Lord and don't just slam the door in his face, then you will be in places that seem very obscure. You will feel like you're not being recognized. You will feel like you're not appreciated. You will feel like that you're probably not accomplishing very much. And you will feel like, you know, you know, you will be tempted to discard the Lord's offers because you are you are being groomed by the Lord on the backside of the desert. All right, so I remember having a job many, many years ago. And in this particular job, because I live in uh, Los Angeles in Southern California, we have a significant percentage of, of men in all kinds of businesses who come from Muslim nations and who are strong Muslims and fervent believers in Islam. Now, I remember that in the context of doing business with these men, I was just being myself, but I, again, I prayed constantly. So, and I can't say my behavior was perfect. It certainly wasn't, but for whatever reason, it was the prayers and my waiting upon the Lord. The Lord gave me divine and supernatural favor in front of these men, many who hated Christians and thought Christians were infidels, but God gave me supernatural favor with these men. And these men were, many of them were really hardcore Muslims. You know, they would have their, their prayer rugs where they'd go pray and stuff. And this was in a, you know, business environment where there were you know, you know, business activity going on. And after a while, because of the Lord, I earned their favor, I earned their respect. And they were convinced that, 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 you know, the way of Islam was the way. But they would literally, and sometimes it took me by surprise, they would walk over to me quickly, either one by one or three or four of them would walk over to me really quickly at the beginning of the business day. And they would ask me, in fact, it sounds strange, but this is what happened. They literally would beg me and ask me to pray for them. And they would grab my hand because they knew how I prayed. They would grab my, my wrist and place my hand on their forehead because they, they, they saw me pray many times. You know, not disrupting anybody off to the side. They'd see me pray for people, and I'd always put my hands on their forehead as I prayed for them. and they noticed that there was a relationship between their business success, uh, their having a lot of good sales, uh, making a lot of money. They they noticed, I didn't talk about it, they noticed a relationship between business favor, business success, and the fact that that I had prayed for them. So they saw that when I prayed for them, they were successful in business. And so they would run over to me, grab my wrist, and then put my hand on their forehead, and, and they'd tell me to pray for them. And they, they'd tell me what they wanted. It was always mainly, uh, you know, Paul, Paul, pray for me. Pray, pray your, your blessing on me. Pray for me that I'll, I'll make money today so I can provide for my family and stuff. And so they were very insistent that I pray for them, and they would not let go of my wrist and my hand until I prayed a, 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 a fervent prayer of blessing upon them. Okay, and and this and, and I made sure that this was not done. This was done somewhat off to the side, but but not totally because people could could observe it. 
but I but I try to diffuse turning anything into like a show. You know what I'm saying? So I would pray for them, and this happened all the time. And then they would thank me, or they would attribute their business success, their ability to make money that day, the amount of lucrative sales they made. They they thanked me and attributed it to the fact that I prayed for them. And they knew that I was praying in the name of Jesus. And this was really weird, because they they were, in actuality, humbling themselves before me. And they were acknowledging before the other Muslims working there, they were acknowledging before the other Muslims that were there and other people that, they, that, that these people who were Muslims, fervent Muslims, um, were asking a Christian to pray God's blessing on them. And the reason that, that they kept doing it is they kept seeing a direct relationship between their ability to make money for their families and themselves, their ability to make sales, their ability to develop new clients. They noticed that there was a direct relationship between business prosperity, economic prosperity, and economic and blessing in general upon their families and their businesses, et cetera, et cetera, whenever I would pray for them and lay hands on them. And so they insisted that I, did, that I would do this. Now, I'll be honest with you. I was shocked more than anybody how often they would do this, how they weren't like Christians. It was no, they, they were not filled with pride. They were not, you know, too good, too high and mighty to ask God for prayer. They knew I was praying to Jesus Christ. They knew that because I'd say, I'd always close my prayer. I'd pray the prayer of blessing, but I always made sure that at the end of the prayer, I would always use words like, and Lord, I ask you to bless my brothers. I would always call them my brothers. I ask you to bless my brothers today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And then they would say, amen and amen. But they knew, because I, I let it be known to them, that I was praying in the name of Jesus Christ. And then I would add, I wouldn't overdo it, but I would insert little things like, Lord, we thank you that you are the source of everything that we need, that you can prosper us, and that you can provide us with everything we need. So we come to you, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, asking you to meet all the different needs that we have in, according to your abundance in Jesus' name. And so they knew it was Jesus. And so I just want to share that with you, because this was a ministry where I wasn't getting any ego strokes. I wasn't being platformed as some big shot. I had nothing to gain in terms of making a name for myself or selling books or whatever. None of that meant anything. Nobody knew what was going on except for me and uh, a sizable percentage of fervent Muslims who wanted me to pray for them. So I considered that like a a pure form of ministry because I wasn't getting anything out of it. And quite frankly, I didn't want to get anything out of it except God's blessing. Okay, so the point I'm trying to make is because I was faithful to minister, and in this case to Muslims, in a completely unknown manner, with a certain amount of risk of persecution, but because I was faithful to pray for them and minister to them, receiving no credit and looking for no credit, the Lord used that, those very prayers for the Muslims. The Lord used those very prayers. The Lord 
opened my eyes into a deeper understanding of, of businessmen in the Muslim faith. I got a deeper understanding. And all of that educated me in a deeper way, prepared me in a deeper way, so that when I was flown by um, um, Christian ministers to conduct you know, a, a crusade, a series of major conferences to Muslims and Buddhists in, in, in downtown Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, the reason I could pray for them in Malaysia, the reason I had the boldness to pray the way that I prayed for the prime minister and everything else, all the things that I was able to do, the Lord equipped me and trained me and showed me how to do it when I was taught in America in a very obscure, unknown way. I, I didn't even know it, but the Lord was preparing me for the day where I would be in Malaysia ministering to, you know, over a three-day period, 15,000 people, ministers, businessmen, uh, pastors, their wives, etc. And the reason I had the confidence to pray for the prime minister and people of different faiths is because I had done it before, and I knew what they would receive and what they wouldn't receive. And they told me when I was ministering to them in obscurity in America that it was okay, that they, that they would receive the prayers of a non-Muslim, but they couldn't do other things with a non-Muslim. So what I'm trying to say to you is, don't. the Bible says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. These are the little side streets the Lord's going to take you down in your life as he prepares you for what he's going to call you to do. And that could be anything. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. The things that seem obscure, the things that, when it seems like nobody's watching what you're doing, and don't get all hung up about who gets credit for this and who gets credit for that. If you will simply be faithful to the Lord to walk through the doors he opens for you to minister to people, if you will be faithful to do that when, when you're obscure, when you're a nobody, if you keep at it in faithfulness, the day will come. Now listen to me, this is important for you men and you women. If you will be faithful in obscurity, the day will come when the Lord himself will place his supernatural favor on you and the day will come when the Lord will, will raise you up into areas of great prominence and influence. Now, I'm not here to brag about myself, but you've heard something about my background being on the biggest. This was when Fox was in its glory days. I was regularly on the biggest shows on the Fox News Network. This is when, when Fox was rolling, you know, not today. I was on the biggest shows of CNN. This was this was when CNN was a different ball game, and you know, but I I prepared for that. I trained myself how to do that decades before I ever got invited. Remember those old VHS ca cameras you would rest on your shoulder and you put in a big VHS tape. Well, I had I had a VHS camera with a VHS tape, big tripod. I set up lights in our living room. Uh, I was totally obscure, and what my wife did is she would teach me, and I would practice recording myself giving news commentary to my VHS camera. And then at that time, we were so broke, basically, we could only afford a black-and-white TV, and we'd play back what we recorded of me onto the black-and-white TV screen. And incrementally and slowly, I began to master the discipline the disciplines I would need linguistically to be a radio talk show host and the disciplines I would need visually and linguistically to be a television commentator 
on the biggest television news programs in the world. So I say to you, God's not a respecter of persons. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Paul